Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So to open things up this morning, I've got a very simple question for you. Um, one that as a Christian, you might get asked at some point by either a non-Christian or someone who is maybe there on the fringe, on the fence of believing. Maybe they're just curious, inquisitive, interested. Um, the question is this. What is the purpose of the Bible? Now, that might seem like a simple question on the surface, and yet it should become rather complex rather quickly. Um, now, since nobody answered out loud, no, I want you to think about, I want you to think about this. I want to think about where your answer came from. Just like when I say, what's two plus two, there's a, an answer probably. I want you to think about where your answer came from and how you would start the answer to the question of what is the purpose of the Bible. We would probably start with words like, I think... Or I've always thought, or something along those lines. Now, how many of you thought of a Bible verse to let the Bible speak for itself? Um, there's a couple that I want to point out, kind of introductory, and then we'll get into it a little bit further. For example, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Cool, right? One of my favorite verses. Because the fact is, we need to let God's, works, God's words God word, God's word speak for itself. One of my other favorite verses to talk about a credibility statement here comes from Hebrews 4.12, first part of it. The word of the Lord is alive and active. Those are some beautiful words. The word of the Lord is living, and it's doing something, right? It's alive, and it's doing something. It's active. Now, again, those are great credibility statements. And again, if you've been around here for any length of time, uh, you've heard several messages about where we actually got the Bible, where we actually got these writings, and how we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, or a reasonable shadow of a doubt, that these are the words that God had given to us in the first place and wants us to read and wants us to be able to understand and to learn. So again, those verses tell us um, that we can trust the Bible, right? But my original question goes back to this. I'm going to put it up there again. What is the purpose of the Bible? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the Bible came from God. We need to know that, right? We need to know that the word of God is alive and active. But how about Romans 15, 4? It says this, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the, the, encouragement of the scriptures, right, we might have hope. The encouragement, encouragement here, it's the root word that we get for the Holy Spirit. It's the root word that we get for the Holy Spirit. Means to paracleo, means to call near, means to comfort. Right? I'm going to unpack that a little bit more later. The encouragement, ever think of the, of the, of the word of God as an encouragement? Would that be part of your definition? What's the, what's the purpose of the Bible? Oh, it's an encouragement. It says it right there. The encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. Right? That word hope. Now, um, again, we use that word hope differently in English than, than we do in Greek. When we say the word hope, in English, I might say something like, well, I, I hope that you heard a message back there at Advent where I talked about the word hope, right? And the biblical term of this, the biblical terminology about that is expectation and trust, right? Get the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have trust, that we might have an expectation of what the Bible tells us. So now we're getting closer to answering the purpose of the Bible, that things are written in earlier times to give us encouragement, Hope, comfort. Those are great words, and that's a great statement. 
But the question you should be asking, and I encourage you, especially in our youth group, I encourage people to ask questions and be more inquisitive when we're reading and talking about the Bible. So things were written in earlier times to give us encouragement and hope. But now the question should be in your mind, should be, how does the Bible do that? How does the Bible give us encouragement and hope? Before we get to that, let's, let's look at one more verse. This is, we're still in my introduction here. There's one more verse. 1 John, his first epistle, 5.13. John says it straight up like this. These things I have written to you, to written who do you believe, I'm sorry, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Right. Hebrew word last week, yada. I know, not only do I know, but it makes a difference in my life. This is a Greek word called, um, well, where is it, Ido, the Greek word Ido. And it means, it means a lot of things. Um, we kind of use the word know for a whole lot of different things, but Greek gets a little more specific with things. So Ido, Ido means um, to perceive with your eyes. These things I've written to you to believe in his name so that you may perceive with your eyes that you have eternal life. You may discern, you may discover Here's my, here's my favorite part. Now, this is straight out of the Greek dictionary. If you can read Greek, this is straight out of the Greek dictionary. It, the word Ido for no means to pay attention to. These things I have written to you, John says, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may pay attention to the fact that you have eternal life. When's the last time you paid attention to the fact that you have eternal life? When's the last time you said a prayer like we tried to sing here this morning? Then, Lord, you came down from your throne room in heaven for absolutely no reason, not for us, man, but for yourself. Not because we deserve it, not because we earn it. John says we're writing these things so that you can, you can know that. You can own that. And the title of the message this morning is not only to know something, but to know that you know it. That's confidence. That's trust. When you know that you know when we can really own it, when we can actually pay attention to the fact that we have eternal life. So there, there's a credibility statement there. I wrote these things. John says this, the Bible is so that you can know, that you can pay attention to the fact that you have eternal life. If I said to you, what's the purpose of the Bible, did you say so that we can know we have eternal life? That's a great definition of what the Bible is. So that we can know that we have eternal life. You ask people all the time. I bet if I ask half of you in here, if you, are you sure you're going to heaven? Well, you know, I think I got a pretty good shot at this. You know, I, well, I, I do more good than I... Mm. John says there's a way we can know for sure. We can own it. And we need to pay attention to that. So God breathes out these words to instruct us, to give us encouragement, hope. In the fact, where's our encouragement and hope? In the fact that we have eternal life. Now, while we're going through the Bible or I should say maybe any time we're reading the Bible, right? We should be looking for words of encouragement, words of hope. We should all be looking, also be looking for words of instruction, words of promise. You know, in our youth group, we're constantly doing that with, with our youth group. We're talking, we talk about God's commands, and we talk about God's promises, and how they're always fitting together. Sometimes you see God's command, and then it's quickly followed by God's promise. And then there's one of God's promises that's quickly followed by, if you follow me, if you obey me, if you do what I'm asking. One we spent a lot of time on Wednesday night with our youth group was Proverbs 16.3. It says this, commit everything you do to the Lord. Then he will make your plan succeed. Sounds pretty cool. And I know everybody in your head just jumped to the second part of that. Ah, oh, my plans are going to succeed. Okay. 
It says right there, my plans are going, well, you know, there's a different part there. Commit everything, everything you do to the Lord. And when we start doing that, when we start actually playing out, when you start paying attention to the fact that we have eternal life, then we start committing different things to the Lord. And eventually, maybe we can get to the everything part. Because God's plans for us to succeed are different than our plans. Our plans are in our checkbooks and in our houses and in our cars we drive and whatever. God says, no, eternal life is my plan for you. That's where we want to go with that. An amazing statement right there. So God's com- God commands us and instructs us, instructs us. And as John said in his first epistle, these words are written so that we can know that we have eternal life. So all right. Actually, I'm going to need this. Let's get back to uh, that idea. The fact that we can know that we have eternal life. And the encouragement we get from God's words. I want to pop back to Romans 15, 4 again, because there's something else I want to tell you about that. It says this, for whatever reason, or I'm sorry, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instructions. The things that were written in earlier times were written for our instructions. So that, through perseverance and the encouragement, remember that's the, that's the root word for the Holy Spirit, a comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might pay attention to it. Okay, that word for encouragement, if you, again, go into the Greek dictionary and you start discerning your way through it, it says this, that word encouragement refers directly to salvation because of the Messiah. Encouragement refers back to salvation, not from the Messiah, encouragement for salvation because of the Messiah. So now understand from the jump here that that there are words of encouragement and there are words of hope in God's word. So then we need to be looking for recognizing these words, always. Now I want just for a moment here, take some time here, to explore two different times, two different ways that God gave his people, gives his people, his followers, the ones, excuse me, who are committing everything to him. He gives promises and hope and encouragement that they receive from God. And maybe, by extension, the people around them, the people associated with them. Two women I want to talk about this morning. Our first contestant this morning had an encounter with one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And I've said this before, you know, um, God's storytelling technique um, is, is quite unique. Um, all of a sudden, people just pop on the scene. No introduction. I mean, can you imagine you're sitting there watching a play and then all of a sudden a character that you never saw before walks on, does a soliloquy, and then just walks off and then another one comes in? I mean, that's how the Bible works, really. We don't know a whole lot about these people. So this, this person is a bit of, a, of an exception to that. His name is Elijah. You've probably heard about him. I only, almost thought about doing Days of Elijah up here today. I don't know, that's a throwback, right? You've got to do a little dance with that. Elijah suddenly appears in 1 Kings chapter 17. Boom, there's Elijah. Right? Then he totally dominates the, the scene until like the second chapter of, of Second Kings where he's taken up to heaven. But we can talk all about that at a different time. That's not where I'm going this morning. Now to set up the scene where I am going though, um, about how God gives us encouragement, how God gives us hope, how God gives us the knowledge, how God gives us the ability to know that we know who he is and what he has in store for our lives. To set up this moment, at this moment in history, um, Ahab is the king of Israel. And Ahab may have been the worst king Israel ever had. I say may have because they had a whole lot of bad ones. So he's in the running. He's certainly in the conversation. King of Israel, worst one that they had seen to that point anyway. Um, Ahab had married a woman named Jezebel. Yes, that one, that's where we get that name, right? Nobody's named Jezebel anymore. 
um, who not only pa uh, practiced pagan religions, but enticed Ahab to adopt those same pagan practices, um, so much so um, that he built, um, he built a shrine, a temple, basically, more of than a shrine. He built a temple to the, to the god um, Baal in Samaria. I mean, Samaria was kind of the same as Jerusalem just up there in the north. So he's literally in the capital, and he builds this temple to Baal. Now, Baal um, was a, a god. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a title and kind of a, and a name for a specific one at the same time. So, all right, so they're worshiping Baal. And God tells Elijah, now this is his first assignment. First assignment, he says, go tell the king and his um, pagan wife Jezebel, who's leading the whole country away from me, he said, go and tell them that it's not going to rain for three years. Boom, go. So Elijah's like, oh man, they've already killed a lot of Christian prophets or uh, prophets of God, so I'm, I'm going in there. So it's crazy. Now, uh, you wonder, you know, do you ever wonder these things? Why did it not rain for three years? Why that in particular? Because, like I said, Baal is uh, the, the name of a title, and it's also a specific god. It was, uh, Baal was the god of fertility and the god of weather, specifically for rain. Right? So God said this. He said, basically, if it rains, you're going to praise that idol rock thing over there. You're not going to understand where that rain is coming from. So he said, well, let's get personal with this. If you're praying to this thing for rain and you're giving him credit for rain, we're, we're going to stop that. And we're going to stop it for three years. Right in his face. It's kind of like the same as, you know, how God, the plagues of, of Egypt, each one of those plagues was, was directed specifically at a different God that e the Egyptians were worshiping. So God said, it's personal. Let's make it personal. It's not going to rain for three years. So Elijah goes and tells him that. And then as soon as he does that, God says, all right, you got to get out of there now. And, and uh, as faith read, uh, we saw that, uh, that he, God sends him to go camp near a brook. And God instructs the ravens to come and feed him. The uh, ravens, birds, bring him bread and meat. And they stay there for a while. But it's not been raining now. So this, this brook, this creek, dries up. Right? And now God says, all right, now I want you to go. And I want you to go to the city of Seraphath. And God says, he's instructed a widow to provide for Elijah. So the ravens, I guess, can take a break now. So Elijah goes there to uh, Seraphath, and sure enough, he meets a woman. He meets this widow here by the well, and he asks her. He recognizes who she is, and she kind of recognizes him too. She recognizes, he said, would you bring me some water? And she said, oh, absolutely, I'll bring you some water. So she's, she starts to head out to get him some water, and he said, oh, could you also just uh, bring me uh, a, a loaf of bread, just some, some, some bread to eat as well? And she says, well, here's the thing. You know, the lady says, um, she starts a sentence, her, her, her sentence with, as sure as your God lives, right? Like I said, she recognizes who Elijah is, and she recognizes what's going on here. So Elijah says, could you bring me a, a loaf of bread? And she says, here's the thing. It's about verse 12 in 1 Kings 17. She says, I got like a cup of flour left at, at the house, and I got just a little bit of oil. And my plan for that was to go and make a loaf for my son and I as kind of our last meal, and then we're going to die. So love to help you, but there it is. And now, Elijah, my, my reaction to that probably would have been, my bad, I got the wrong widow. Could you point me to the next one down the line? But Elijah says, mm, says no worry. He says, that's not the way this story is going to go. And then he asks her to step out in faith. He says, do as I say and bring me a loaf first and then go and make one for you and your son and he said, and then your flour won't run out and your oil run out. And the way he said it is, until it rains again. And sure enough, it worked. It held out. Now that was by any measure an amazing feat, right? 
The widow thought, we're done. We are going to eat this last loaf of whatever I can make, this last cake, I think they actually call it, and then, and then we're going to die. We're just going to wait because we have nothing else and we have no way of providing for ourselves. Elijah said, step out in faith and God will surprise you and provide for you. Now, the surprising part, kind of this, and you know, I, I know I read the Bible a little bit differently than, than some people do, but the thing that surprises me here is in, in this moment, and we'll look at it this morning in a moment, the woman doesn't react at all. She isn't, she isn't blown away by this. She isn't, you know, she isn't surprised. There's no shock at all. There's, we don't get any kind of reaction from her at all. But that, again, should have been enough to know that God's power was there, was here. But then, plot twist. Her son gets sick, right? So sick that the way the scripture reads is that he had no breath in him at all. Kid died. And now she goes to Elijah, and she says, what's up with that? She, said, she says these words. She said, I thought you came here so that I could learn about salvation, so that you would show me an example of salvation. But here we are now. What's going on? And Elijah kind of says, yeah, you know what? you got a point here. And so he brings the boy upstairs, lays him down on his own bed, and he prays to God. And he basically prays what that lady said. Here I am. Here we are. Is this what I came for, to see this tragedy happen? And then Elijah lays on the kid three times, breathes into him. And then he prays again. And he says, Lord, you know, if it's your will, could we please get the life back in this boy? And God says, now we're talking. And he brings the boy back to life. And he brings the boy down to his mother, right? After he prayed, let him live, he brings the boy back down to his mother. And that's where things start changing. That's where things start to sink in. That's where things start to become reality to her. Verse 24 says this, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. Now I know, and you guys know from last week that that's the Hebrew word, yada. And the reason we talk about it like that is because not only do I know, she's saying, but now it's making a difference in my life. It's making a difference in what I think. It's making a difference in what I believe. It's a difference in what I think about. She was at the point now where she's saying, I know that I know that I know. And it's making a difference in my life. Not only do I know, but I know that I know. These things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction. John says these things were written so that you can now, you can, you can know, you can yada. That Greek word for know is ido, means to perceive with the eyes, right? Means to make a difference. Again, the Bible is filled with examples just like that. But we didn't get to live with Elijah during Elijah's time. And frankly, the only one that really witnessed that was that widow. That's why John says in his Gospels and his Epistles, he says, we can see that narrative from these written words. That's why I always say, you know, this looks two-dimensional, but we got to get in it. we got to experience it. we got to feel that heat of that sun and the dust going around. we got to see that brook that's drying up, right? we got to fear the same way Elijah did when he had to go and tell that news of that king. we got to be part of that story. Here's in a historical moment. I read from the Gospel earlier about a historical moment that, again, we refer to as the woman at the well, right? There's a lot to unpack with that, and again, I'm just going to kick that down the road a little bit. We will get to that. But what I want to focus on this morning is the knowing part, right? 
Great story quickly told. Jesus is at, uh, at the well by himself. Um, at the sixth hour, it says, so in the heat of the afternoon, this woman comes along at an hour when no one in their right mind is out there gathering or you know, getting water because it's, it's so hot out there. Jesus starts to unpack her life for her, and it's not a great story. She's been married several times, currently living with another person, and yet Jesus reaches out to her and he strikes up a conversation. So salvation is right here. He tells her that he is the living water. Again, we need to come back to this because what he is literally telling her is that he is the Messiah. She's, at, she's got questions about the Messiah, and he's like, eh, the Messiah is sitting right in front of you. And here, let me just show you a couple things just to prove that to you. Right? He's literally telling her that the Messiah is here right now. So now she's convinced. Right? She runs back to the village, tells everyone there what's going down over there at the well. Verse 39 that we read earlier says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I have ever done. This guy, she starts to talk to him as a, as a prophet, and then she said, this is way more than that. This is, this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. So the people come back from the town. They come out to the well to see Jesus. They sit and talk to him for a few minutes. And then they beg him to come back to town and stay with them. And he did for two days. He taught them. He spoke with them. And after hearing the words of God from God himself, things started to change. Their faith started to increase. You know, that woman, she just went back and she told them what happened. He told me everything. She didn't try to teach some kind of, you know, theological conundrum or she didn't try to show how clever she was. She just went and said, you've got to experience what I've been experiencing here. And so to be sure, this woman's testimony, you know, testimony, this is who I was, this is what happened, this is who I am, right? Uh, that testimony, she brings back that testimony. So to be sure, her testimony brought those people from the village back out to Jesus. And then it was God's words from God himself that brought them to the knowledge of the truth. Another person's experience can only bring us so far. You can listen to somebody talk about another person, but you really don't get to know that person. But if you can sit down and talk to that person that we're talking about, you can get to know them, right? You can start to experience that person. Only when you spend time with that person, listen to them firsthand, do you really get to know them on a different level, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus went back to this town for a couple of days, started talking to them, started teaching them, started opening scripture to them in ways that just absolutely blew their minds. And it changed them. And it changed them in a way that we're talking about this morning, knowing that you know. Verse 42 says this, the people, the villagers, right? The village people, YMCA, they came out and said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, not just because of your testimony, but because we have heard him ourselves, right? We have experienced him ourselves. And now we, Ido, now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. I know, because I've experienced it. Right? I know it. And I know that I know it. These people from Samaria, of all places, were able to say, we know that we know. So my question for you this morning is this. When it comes to the Savior of the world, when it comes to your salvation, do you know it? Do you know that you know it? Ido in Greek, yada in Hebrew means I know something and it's making a difference in my life. Just knowing something casually, 
yeah, it might not make a difference. Knowing that you know something on a personal level makes a difference in our lives. John said these things, or Paul said these things that were written in earlier times, right? John says, I'm writing this specifically so that you can know, you can know that you know that you have salvation that comes from God. My question is again, do you recognize when God breaks into your life? In the youth group, we call those kairos moments. Do you recognize when God breaks into your life? Do you recognize when God provides for you? Do you recognize his promises when we're reading through his words? Do you understand that the purpose of the Bible is to point us towards salvation? Not just pointing us there so that we can know that we have salvation. And on the level that Ido talks about, Greek word Ido talks about, we can know that we know that we have God's salvation. Are you guys picking up what I'm putting down? What are your questions? Let's keep going. Please stand with me.